Welcome to the Innovation Roundtable Insights Podcast. This episode was recorded in Copenhagen during the 2018 Innovation Roundtable Summit, where our colleague Mark sat down with Andreas Clausen, Corporate Director Scouting and Technology Support at Beiersdorf. Andreas introduces Beiersdorf as a consumer-led company and shares details on their customer-centric approach. During the conversation, he addresses the capabilities, skills, and mindset needed to deal with radical innovation and the leadership required to change the innovation culture. Finally, he talks about the crucial role that trust plays in effective innovation teams. Andreas, thank you very much for participating in this interview in this backstage studio here at the Innovation Roundtable Summit. Pleasure. Could you just start the interview with briefly describing who you are and what you do? Yes, so my name is Andreas Clausen. I'm uh, at Biostoff AG, which is a fast museum consumer good company in the personal care industry, um, having um, um, cosmetic brands like Nivea, Eucerine, and I'm responsible for um, research and development pro- um, and especially product development. So I have uh, several teams which are on one hand working on new prototypes, so more into uh, long-term disruption activities and also formula development labs, which means delivering it to the market together with marketing. Okay, interesting. And could you, I'm going to start off with a very broad question. Yes. Could you um, describe the larger innovation framework at Firestorm and how your role fits into that? Yes. So uh, as you might uh, imagine, being a consumer-led company, of course, we start with consumer centricity very much. So everything we launch is uh, heavily tested also on consumers. Um, We do it either uh, qualitatively, which is more in the early phase of our development that we try to understand uh, the insights um, uh, we con- want to create with a product uh, related to consumer. And the more we get to the market, we go get more quantitative and really test uh, on selected consumer groups, whether they like it, uh, whether they would buy it. So this is a, was a very established process, how we work. So starting really with uh, understanding the consumer and also develop the products um, that they really fit to their needs. Okay, interesting. And um, I want to delve into both parts, but let us start with this, um, the early stage at the front end of innovation, where you work with very qualitative uh, stuff. Could you describe the methods you use in, in really delving into these uh, maybe small-scale user experiments? Yes, so um, one element is uh, kind of a classical focus group that many companies doing nowadays, which maybe makes it unique. Uh, what we are doing is so uh, we get every prototyper, because they're not only the ones who are doing it, the opportunity to also t- attend the focus groups because we do them sometimes in-house and they're sitting behind a screen and can um, also interact uh, um, and with the people who get interviewed or are part of the focus group. So not uh, publicly, but they then uh, they, they get uh, some opportunities to ask questions because this helps us to optimize the prototype at the early stage. So they're doing it uh, with the first experimented uh, prototype and then they take it to this kind of um, focus groups or other online formats, which we also developed more and more. And based on this, um, continue the development of the product because obviously nothing is perfect at the beginning, but it helps you a lot to, to get the right direction uh, based on the feedback we get. Of course. And, and this feedback is, of course, very, very oriented from, from the consumer and so on. Is there a way where, where you can meet the, the latent needs, the needs that 
they probably they maybe cannot convey. Is there a way in which you, you try to figure that out as well? Yes, this is where we do uh, consumer observation. So we have a team which is doing that, where we, for example, also um, observe um, how they apply a product. Uh, when we, you, for example, say, uh, I use a body lotion, and I always uh, do it with my left hand for two minutes, and we just observe you, you sometimes take the right hand and you do it 10 seconds. So it's very important to also show, uh, see and observe the consumer, how they use the product, how they behave using them. So this is also one element which we are doing in, in early phase developments. Okay. And when uh, you move further on from these early phase developments, um, you said yourself that you probably you delve into these more um, qu uh, quantitative uh, measures. Could you describe how you move from, from that front-end, uh, very user-centric uh, manner, and the more quantitative way? I mean, it's um, for me, I see it more as a constant stream yeah? because we have um, teams which very much focus on prototyping and we kind of have a handover um, activity to the teams which uh, lead it to the market, which is normally 9 to, to, to 15 months maximum. And um, therefore, they, they use different tools. Yeah? The prototypers are working more uh, like I described. And um, for the other teams, it's together with marketing because this relationship gets closer and closer with the more we get to the market because we are having a joint responsibility um, for, for the launch. Um, they have the tools. We have um, organization enabling organizations which do market research for us, which connect with the consumers, work with us on getting insights on the consumers. So this is where it's very much, co very much connected with these teams and they know exactly what to do and um, how to test it and um, also identify the target groups behind uh, because um, whether you test it on 100% of competitor users or 100% uh, of users of your product at the moment makes a big difference in the result. And this is an art for itself where teams are really specialized on um, um, supporting that. Yes. Are there any methods um, that you use um, during this after you've kind of come up with the idea and, uh, and now it's ready to, to be scaled up to market launch? Do you use any me certain methodologies in, in working that manner? Yes, we do, but of course it also depends what the, the, the objective of the, the project is um, because uh, it's, it's of course hard to predict uh, scaling up. Eh? Otherwise, any innovation would be successful and we know the, the rate. Uh, so um, I would say uh, we, we have a mix of different uh, methods and we try to understand and also learn um, backwards what worked well for, within the project, what led to success in the market, but it would be too easy to, to to um, be um, able to predict that in the future. That would be great, but uh, uh, this is unfortunately not the case. So it's still a mix and experience and playing around with it. So I would put it that way. Okay. Going back to um, to the early stages of innovation and, and where you're very much working in this uh, very small-scale customer-centric manner, how do you select test users for, for experimentations, for example? Yes. So um, there's different ways of doing it. So also a classical home and use test is uh, test users. So sometimes we're just doing it within um, the R&D people, 20 people, and ask them to give us just feedback. This is fast and very convenient for us to get the first uh, idea on it. Uh, being careful that the people are not so much uh, into it that they are not, that they are biased already. Um, so this is one example of what we're doing very very early to get uh, feedback. But as I said, we have also a team um, in R&D 
R&D, which helps us to select the right methodologies like focus groups, like online questionnaires. So there's really a bunch of activities we, we, can, we can select off, and, um, which always depends on the question and also the time we have for that project. Uh, when um, it is a project which is very much under pressure because we already have uh, hard launch timings, we would approach that differently than when it's a big innovation where we really want to learn deeply how this can be in the market. Yes. One thing that uh, we like to ask in these interviews is um, how to use these entrepreneurial methods, you know, this um, design thinking approach yes. uh, and agile approach at scale. Yes. You're doing it in large corporations. Yes. And how do you, with this very uh, small scale user centric uh, research, which it is after all, how do you ensure uh, large scale success in, in that? As I already started to say, you cannot ensure uh, this is impossible. Otherwise, um, it's just a matter of resources and everybody would innovate every day. So you cannot really ensure. Um, I would say um, one is all this trend of agility methods like, like Scrum, like Lean Startup, which is uh, buzzwording around. It's also something you need to adapt to the culture of how you develop products. Uh, it cannot be a, 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 a print um, that it just applies and you, you are always successful. So you need to understand to integrate it. And this is where the leadership is playing a critical role that you um, just don't train the people and have expectations that you also learn how you can adapt it to your your um, way you need to develop products because some are doing digital products uh, many good examples here have been on um, um, yeah virtual products which you develop which is a totally different way and like we are doing it which is more physical product development uh, and this is what you need to learn where you take the best out of these mythologies and also there it's about experimenting and trying things out which works good for you and maybe it differs also in the teams how they uh, do it so also there it's very important that first of all you give them the opportunity to um, apply these methods and also develop their own way of working with them and um, it's I think the the frame of the leadership um, to ensure that this becomes a constant um, change um, in applying um, how to develop products and yes. that it's not just a single point and people try it out and are happy and just continue the way they did uh, the last 50 years yeah, yeah of course and in, in, in terms of how you say that um that you're continuously learning about how to apply, apply it and you, you apply it to your own context, not only for Biosdorf, but even within the individual teams. Yes. Is there a way in which you, you can convey or disseminate best practice, uh, or not necessarily best practice, but just lessons learned? Yes. Um, organizationally, is there yes. a manner in which you do that? Yes. So um, maybe not so much about mythologies. I think this is something which we really need to also think about how we can, um, beyond the team experience, make the transparency to other teams as well. But there is, uh, we have communities of practice um, across the, the so-called silos, which every big company has somehow. Um, whatever, however you organize yourself, you have a respective time, you have um, silos. So we have um, really teams which have the... Um, knowledge um, transfer um, um, yeah, um, task, I would say. This helps uh, definitely. Uh, but it, within the project themselves, there's also, of course, a big learning. So we, we have something we call um, quintessence, quintessences. So there is a, um, um, a need and a must when you finish a product to, to write this quintessences, not 10, year, uh, 10 pages or so, really only uh, one page with really the essence, and you can research that also uh, within the company. But I'm still a believer 
um, in um, networks, uh, people networks, and not so much in documentation. So this is something we ensure, and it's available. You can research it. But my experience is you need to find the right people who are to share learnings with you and to connect these people with each other and also with yourself because this uh, is much more fruitful than just writing a report. And I guess that's applicable both on an internal scale and by itself, but also externally. Exactly. It's, it's more about ecosystems nowadays, and um, especially outside, because we are, uh, in comparison to other of our competitors industry, uh, small as a multinational company. So they have, I don't know, five, five three times more um, R&D people than us. So we need to be smarter in, in tapping into the ecosystem outside of the company. And this was always our uh, ambition. This is why we created also dedicated resources, which um, scouted and um, also took open innovation on the next level, which was part of my, my, my job before I took over product development for a few years. Okay. And if I could just delve into your, your former job, yeah. um, because ecosystems and open innovation is also a big part of our, our workshops and our events. Yes. Um, how, how does Bardolf go about? Do you, do you integrate yourself in certain innovation hubs? Uh, for example, uh, Tel Aviv or Silicon Valley or something along those lines? Yeah, uh, so um, I think it's there are different ecosystem dimensions. For me, the very classical one is that you work with your normal business partners, like in our case, suppliers. Huh? As still, there is potential to leverage that. And we created also some tools. Um, one is called Trusted Network, which we established there, that we can reach out to more than 400 partners uh, with thousand people behind uh, to, to really post our needs and work in a very trusted way together as one example. So this is uh, the, the traditional way of working, I would say, which is still relevant for us. The other aspect is, of course, that you um, tap into this uh, startup worlds and this, this, this is special hubs. This is also something we develop step by step, but our approach is more on um, getting more strategic um, um, collaboration, so working more with startups in a later stage of the development not in a seed stage because this is more an investment and we are not so much into investments. We are more looking for strategic partnerships. But this is also something which evolves and uh, you need to find a way of balancing what you do on your own because you need to also have your learning curve doing something alone and not just um, buying it in funds and don't know what happens around it. So we try to always establish a good balance in helping yourself internally with having own tools and experience, but also know the right partners to leverage it when you need to have speed and, and, and scale um, um, because there are many partners, especially also here around, which can help you there. This is always this mix and this toolbox which you have to manage um, within that environment okay i'll go back to your uh, to your current role in, in product development um you mentioned initially that you work with um, with many of the more radical uh, transformative um, uh, solutions we've heard quite a bit uh, here at the two days of the summit you've mm -hmm. attended so far about um, either um, having radical innovation within the core organization or separating it within a a, a separate unity yes um what, which direction have you chosen and why? We try to avoid a completely separation as an own organization because what the big drawback is, and you hear that also when you talk to established companies like us, we are 140 years old, we are not a digital native, um, that the core does not evolve. Uh, in the mindset and the way you approach innovation. So uh, this is why we, uh, for example, started also an R&D culture journey four years ago uh, that we want to also uh, infuse 
the new ways of working, mindset, and um, um, yeah, disruptive um, uh, capabilities to be still successful also within the core business. And this is why we try to, to of course, define some fields where we think where we might disrupt ourselves and we do this teams uh, in a different way and, and give them also a dedication which we cannot give them in the normal way of working. But I... I'm not a, such a strong believer that uh, you just set up an, an, a um, parallel team with the end-to-end end end responsibility, which is necessary if you do it, and just hope that they succeed. Because this not invented here syndrome, which is among these teams, gets even stronger. And even if you let them um, also um, get into the market and be responsible for it, it never changes the whole culture of your um, um, your own organization. And this is why I would say, you might do this uh, organizational uh, separation, but you need to even harder work on the cultural change um, of your organization, uh, which is still existing and is the core of your business model. Yes. And, um, you know, going into this cultural transformation, have you taken any lessons learned until now uh, in terms of how, how a large corporation that has 140 years of lifespan can uh, become more entrepreneurial and innovative? Yeah, it starts with uh, someone like me uh, being um, part of the R&D leadership team um, to become more change manager in the future and uh, already today. Um, and we also heard that um, that in the past yeah, it was more directive. Uh, okay, having a vision is okay, but still setting a clear frame, this uh, has to change. So um, change always starts from top. And um, if I don't change my way of how I support innovation, my team does not feel it, um, it will never change. So this is a, a fundamental um, aspect of, of change that you just cannot train the people and expect them and delegate them to, to, to innovate differently. It starts with my own um, behavior. And therefore, we also decided at that time to start first with us, uh, to really think how we need to evolve as leaders um, to make the change happen. And this is a constant journey which will never stop okay so really about walking the talk uh, and communicating i guess mm. constant communication yes yes um in terms of of the cultural transformation as well one thing that could be quite interesting to hear about is um how how much there's a need to recruit uh you know because people can be maybe become a bit stuck in their ways yes um as opposed to development what uh, what's your uh, opinion on that I think you need this, but you should, you should be very careful to balance that right. Uh, um, I think also here, it doesn't make sense um, to, to just create own um, people which just um, should do the job which you have to do as a leader. So you should definitely infuse also new uh, ways of uh, thinking and also generations are very much thinking different. Uh, the digital natives, the millennials, they just have it in the blood and people like really have to work hard on it uh, to get this mindset, mindset and uh, way of working in this way. So it definitely helps to also speed it up. But also here I'm very um, convinced that you need to find a balance also to that the people who are uh, already in the organization get an opportunity to grow. And uh, as, as in every change, you have 30% um, of people who are ready to go, 30% who are just observing how this all works, and the, the rest you never get. And you might have to take also hard calls on these people who are not willing to change anymore, uh, especially when they are in very important positions. Uh, and um, this is a matter of fact in a change organization every time. And we are in times where the way you do innovation and the speed you do innovation changed uh, dramatically. Yeah. 
And um, you mentioned this uh, this notion of um, of leadership and how it's important that um, they're really the um, the ones who walk the talk and, and really are able to to show the importance of moving forward in this manner. And then you, you talked about a little bit about um, digital natives and so on. Could you describe the most important skill sets and capabilities um, amongst uh, specific employees and also within the team uh, that's needed within the uh, the more radical innovation space? Yes. So first of all, I would say it, it, there's not the ideal um, employee which you can have. For me, it's very important also to talk about the diversity of the team itself. And this is why I think having younger people which where digital um, thinking is natural to themselves with a good mix of people um, who also have experience from the past which is no, never bad um, is very important so this is why I say for me it's more important to look on the team di- and dynamics and diversity than only on single individuals for me it's more that we get the right mix um, in the teams that everything is available which uh, has to be there so have young people who think uh, that uh, agility is important, who are capable of applying the methods which are um, more important, uh, like we discussed uh, already, but also have people who have a value in how innovation has been done over the past and can also share their experience. But uh, it's important that you have this trust in the team that uh, both um, ways of thinking and all the different capabilities you have can flourish. Otherwise, uh, it's a loss for the whole team. But I'm not a strong believer that you have this profile which has to come in the future. It's more uh, what are the capabilities which are needed, what are the skills which are needed, and what is the mindset which is needed. And this is what you need to combine also depending on the task uh, when i'm a prototyping for example i hopefully are more discovery uh, mindset and not so much strong in execution but within a team and also need people who deliver uh, so this is why i say it's more the balance and the mix which you have to do right yeah yeah it's quite interesting this uh, this concept of um, of um, the discovery phase and uh, not so much the execution phase and then there is the need to deliver at a later stage uh, so i guess the metrics uh, needs to be different at those stages as well. Exactly. And this is what um, had, needs to be obvious to the teams, that they have different responsibilities. Also, the diversity which is um, needed in the teams has to uh, be adapted to that. Absolutely. And um, to kind of conclude the the interview, I'd like to ask you about, um, now you've worked um, within open innovation before, product development of, of radical nature. In your experience, how has innovation changed over the years and how do you see it moving forward in the future? Um, I think it changed a lot. I think the the speed of uh, change um, is uh, radical. Um, some barriers which have been relevant for us are not existing anymore. Take example for us, we are having a trade among us and the, uh, the end consumer, and this um, this um, wall is not existing anymore uh, due to e-commerce. Huh? So everybody can be an, uh, a smart um, um, developer of new cosmetic products and uh, position it very very narrow, uh, which we cannot do as a global company, huh? and uh, take up trends. And 150 companies might. Do this and two are successful because they had the lucky right positioning for their time this is something we cannot do and this is why um, to find a way of um, staying strong as a, as a global company and a brand and, and still innovate uh, also with ideas which have a global potential but on the other hand be flexible enough to also adapt to trends and changes which we cannot maybe foresee and, uh, is one of the biggest challenges you have Andreas, thank you very much for partaking in this interview. Welcome.
Thank you. My pleasure. The video version of this podcast can be accessed via innovationroundtable.online. The Innovation Roundtable online network is your portal to a wide variety of exclusive content, including video presentations, interviews, insights reports, and articles. Not only that, innovationroundtable.online is also a place where you can connect with other corporate innovators, share experiences, request collaborations, and gain inspiration from your peers. Our network is exclusively for innovation practitioners and large firms, so visit innovationroundtable.online to discover more and request your seven-day free trial account.